Hey guys, I'm Raf. And I'm James. On today's episode, The Psychiatrist's Guide to Bipolar Disorder. And we don't want to take away your creativity, your energy, the gift that you were born with. We just want to keep it from boiling over. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Well, my name's James. Welcome exactly. to the podcast. Let's do it. We should talk about what we're doing because we've had some major changes, right? Yeah. I've started Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Fellowship at Westchester Medical Center. And you love it. I absolutely do love it. It's awesome. I'm so jealous. It's everything I want it to be. Having your own daughter wasn't enough. You needed a larger sample size. But it's it's absolutely perfect. She's the perfect age for me to be able to like see it twenty four seven. You know what a three and a half year old is like, and then treat the kids. You know that come in the hospital. Uh, oh, you have news too, by the way. Yes, right? I. You left me behind. I'm still where you were. I'm still at Rutgers, but I'm in my mm-hmm. final year, and uh, I am going to NYU for addiction psychiatry for a Ooh. fellowship next year. Congrats. Um, and I have very bad senioritis, um, which was something that you probably didn't have to go through because... uh, Have to go through. I wanted to go through it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I still don't have power because of Hurricane... What is it called? Does it have a name? It has a name. I think it's Isaiah or something like that. That, uh, That's amazing. I'm so sorry. It's fine because I'm lucky that my parents live close by on a farm. Mm -hmm. So... I am recording from the farm, which is awesome. Right before this, I was hiking in the woods with Sophia and Jen. That was Wonderful. great. Yeah, I had Ugh. to come back to do this. Right before this, I was sleeping, and then I was eating very slowly. I don't know how you no. morning people do it. Really, that sounds about right. Boggles the mind. Th- this. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. He it's held coffee. up a cup of uh, of of Duncan. Yeah, so I'm I'm recording from the farm, the headquarters of the Koyra Institute, by the way, which will talk more about in another episode. my future employer um uh, we're gonna need to I'm talk doing... because I, I am gonna need my salary oh, is yeah. going to have to be five million dollars a year wait what my salary so it's gonna need five million a year i feel like that's fair for me um can i pay you in like ious um you know what stock options let's 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 do this thing man let's I'll blow it out stock. let's blow the doors okay. off i'm all on in. that note by the way i'm doing a um a certification in equine therapy. Oh, nice! At the University of Denver, I'm oh, supposed cool. to fly out there soon, but I don't know if that's going to happen because of COVID. But we'll see. I don't want to get on a plane, man. Wear that N95 the whole ride. Yeah, seriously. But we came here to talk about bipolar disorder. Yes, we did. So let's do that. Let's do it. And I'll be very straightforward. Mm-hmm. The reason I wanted to do this one now is because of what's going on with Kanye. And I have to say, if you recall from the Donald Trump episode, Mm -hmm. we cannot diagnose anybody that is not our patient. And if we did, we couldn't talk about it. It's also impossible to diagnose somebody who we don't know. Mm -hmm. So I have no idea if Kanye has bipolar disorder or not, but it's being reported in the media and people are saying all sorts of stuff. 
And so I thought it would be a good time now that that's in the public conscious to talk about bipolar disorder, to talk about what it is and talk about what it isn't. Agreed. And uh, Kanye, please direct all lawsuits at uh, Raphael Coira. I have no idea <laughs> if Kanye has or has. I, he, he makes great music. I'll say that. Yeah, definitely. The thing I want to say, and this is just a general phenomenon that I've noticed, is that for us, for psychiatrists, for mental health providers, the DSM criteria is pretty strict and very clear. And that's because we have our own vocabulary. And so mm-hmm. when we when we say distractibility or indiscretion, that means something to us that it might not mean to the general population. So if yeah, a layperson exactly. with you know a good meaning intelligent layperson reads those words, reads the DSM criteria, I think it's broader for for people who don't have the training. So I think it's almost yeah. natural for armchair psychiatrists without any formalized training to look at the DSM criteria and and really think it applies more broadly than it perhaps does. What's bipolar disorder? Bipolar disorder is when like you're happy one minute and then you're sad the next and then you're happy the one minute and then you're sad the next and like your mom is like, oh man, you're so annoying. And you're Ah. like, yeah, I have bipolar disorder. That's what it is, bipolar showing? (laughs) No, that is is not. Oh, really? Oh, okay. But let's let's dig back. I want to talk about the history of bipolar disorder. Okay. I want to start with Hippocrates. You know that guy? I heard of him. He's all right. The Hippocratic Oath and all that. He, he's a doctor mm-hmm. back in like um, 400 BC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had this theory. Do you remember what his theory was? What his like science was? His theory was that humans were comprised of several elements, and those elements, humors. humors. That's right. Humors. The four humors. Humors. So, and to be honest, you he wasn't really that far off, actually. If you if you look back, I mean, we're talking about more than two thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, just believing that humans were greater than the sum of their parts and were composed of elements that, if misaligned, could cause. Uh, He's. I think it's even better than that. I want to talk a little bit about his his idea. So he he said that we had four humors, choleric phlegmatic sanguine and melancholic i think it's right? sanguine but maybe oh, yeah, sanguine. sanguine sanguine sounds better it sounds like but it is sanguine. pasta sangre yeah you're right it sounds delicious but it means blood so <laughs> it's probably gross yeah so i mean i think it you know from they looked at the different fluids in the body right there's um bile which is you know, col- choleric or cholera. Mm-hmm. Cole is the name for bile in Latin. Um, phlegmatic meaning phlegm, essentially. Sanguine meaning blood. And melancholic is black bile. Mm. And melancholic to Hippocrates uh, was responsible for depression, which is why the word melancholia essentially means depression nowadays. A biological determinant of mental health? But that's what I'm trying to tell you. These guys had it figured out and we have regressed significantly. We're going to see that. Mm -hmm. Actually, melancholic features is one of the specifiers of depression. And he also knew about mania. He thought that the choleric humor or the yellow bile was responsible for mania. Think about it. These guys knew about depression. They knew about mania. They knew about psychosis. And they were trying to explain biologically how it was happening. There's this guy. Atreus. Atreyu Atreyu is the guy from uh, Neverending Story, I think, right? Aredius of Cappadocia. Okay. 
And this guy from the first century BC said that mania and melancholia were on a spectrum and that that spectrum comes from the brain. Bam. 2,000 years ago. Give that guy, guy an MD. Yeah. No, I think he was an MD. I don't know <laughs> if that existed, but he was a doctor, I think. Fast forward to the 1800s. This guy, Jean-Pierre Falray, in 1851, he coined the term folie circulare. I think that's right. Something like that. Good enough. And what he pointed out is that mania and depression were a cycling disorder that could have euthymic periods in between. I know this next guy. We got to talk about this next guy a little bit. I like this next guy. You, you, I don't know if you should. So I like it because I recognize the name. It makes me feel smart. Emil, Emil Kraplin. So this guy is probably responsible, maybe more than anyone else other than Freud, um, for modern psychiatry. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about, again, he lived from 1856 to 1926. Um, but the disclaimer is just superficially looking into his history. This guy most likely was an anti-Semite. He was in Germany. Um, Why they always you know, got to be anti-Semites, man? I don't know. It sucks. Ugh. Germany, turn of the 20th century. This guy basically pinned down most of you know, the basics of what we know about psychiatry at that point. The problem is he was also into eugenics. Mm. Uh, he was probably a racist and an anti-Semite. And he trained some guys that would later become Nazi psychiatrists. Ugh. So he's not great, but he did know a lot. He was a smart guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's maybe most famous for the term dementia, dementia precox, yeah, which is essentially what we now call schizophrenia. Uh huh. Um, and he also coined the term manic depressive insanity, which all the way through DSM three is what we call bipolar disorder, uh, manic depression. Oh yeah, I, and I think you know even dementia precox is a term that really persists. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One thing aside from coining the term and describing bipolar disorder the way that we essentially understand it now is that he felt that all of these processes, the psychiatric processes, were metabolic processes Mm. that affected every organ in the body, but also, you know, specifically afflicted the brain Mm. causing these behaviors. So I don't know why it's so hard for some people to understand that now. When we knew that 2,000 years ago. <laughs> but there are a lot of people that, you know, that have a hard time understanding that, including physicians. Oh, yeah. So there we go. We started. They knew what bipolar disorder was more or less at the turn of the century. Or the, uh, excuse me. At the turn of, I don't know, what would you call that? The turn of the 20th century? The turn of the... M- millennium. Millenn- two millenniums yeah. ago. So a couple of millennia ago, <laughs> they, they had a, a decent understanding of what bipolar disorder was. It got a little more clear as time went on. And let's talk about what our understanding of bipolar disorder is now. Let's do it. So, I'm saying that a lot this episode. I don't know why. You should, just, like you take... should just edit that out. Every time I say that. Uh, I'm going to edit it in. I'm oh, going to copy and paste it. Bam. Like, <laughs> yes. uh, Chef Emeril, he, he fell off, bro. He, yeah. he overdid the bam thing. <laughs> bipolar disorder. A- anybody that knows the term manic depression, it's synonymous with bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Right. When in DSM-4, we just changed the term from manic depression to bipolar disorder, okay? So if, you've, if you have a family history of manic depression, you have a family history of bipolar disorder, in theory. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's bipolar 1 disorder, bipolar 2 disorder, and the never-diagnosed cyclothymic <laughs> disorder. Yep. 
So what's the difference between Bipolar 1 and Bipolar 2? So Bipolar 1 has a true manic episode. And by a manic episode, we're talking one week of symptoms that we sometimes refer to as dig fast symptoms. And these are symptoms that include distractibility, indiscretion, grandiosity, flight of ideas, increased activity, decreased sleep, and increased talkativeness. Something that goes along with that that's not in even in the criteria, but is often present is true psychosis or having non-reality-based thoughts. So thinking out of the blue that you are an actress and you need to fly to Milan to star in a role and you buy the $5,000 first-class plane ticket even though you can't pay rent. And that's what we're talking about there. By definition, you have to have a a manic episode, Mm -hmm. right? With or without depressive episodes. Mm-hmm. You may or may not also have depressive episodes, but you get the diagnosis of bipolar 1 if you've had a manic episode, even if you've never been depressed. Very true. Bipolar 2 disorder, you have to have a hypomanic episode and you have to have a depressive episode in this case. Mm-hmm. It can't just be hypomania and euthymia. You have to have hypomanic episodes and depressive episodes. And hypomanic episodes are manic episode light. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to have it for as many days. Sometimes it's not so easy to differentiate a hypomanic episode from a manic episode. It's very hard. I would say that if your manic episode is typified by any degree of delusional thinking or psychosis, you kind of you kind of bump that person into No, no. Yeah. If you have a if you have psychosis, automatically you're bipolar one. Yeah. It's, it, it turns from a hypomanic to a manic episode. What is definitely in the criteria is if you get hospitalized, it's a manic episode by definition, mm. even if you haven't been seven days. So the thing with manic and hypomanic episodes is that they get confused with a lot of other things. But the key feature of them is that they're a change from your baseline level of mood, mm-hmm. right? So it's not that you have these symptoms, all the time that you have mood swings that yeah, you don't sleep well that you know it's that you don't have these symptoms most of the time and then suddenly bam you go a week where you have all these symptoms or a lot of them all at the same time and it's not your typical normal behavior because we said it before the symptoms in the DSM everybody has all of the symptoms in the DSM yeah right the key is this is way different so Manic episodes don't fly under the radar. Mm -hmm. Very true. And I think it's also important to note, you know, we always throw around this one week thing. But if untreated, a manic episode can can go for months, go for months. So months, months, if you might be even tempted, and this would be based on your history taking, you might be tempted if you see someone in the middle of a manic episode with psychosis, and maybe you get collateral from a neighbor, you know, the neighbor says, oh, Two months ago, they were like this. You might be tempted to give that person a diagnosis more along the lines of schizoaffective or something like that. But, you know, you always have to take into account that if this is untreated and especially if it's the first one and neither the patient or the family has any idea what to do with this, that it could just be a prolonged manic episode. And manic episodes are severe and they're dangerous. This, This is a psychiatric emergency. If somebody's in a manic episode, they need to go to the emergency room and they need to be treated because I have seen people's lives ruined because of manic episodes. It's it's more severe. I think as a psychiatrist working in the emergency room, what struck me early on years ago 
is that the the psychos the degree of psychosis. Yeah, how frank it's more it severe is, than schizophrenia. Exactly. It, it, is that what you're going? Yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, it's shocking, and it leads people it's, to do the most bizarre things. That mm-hmm. almost like someone who you know ingested PCP and then acts in a manner that is not commensurate with their personality. It's it's almost similar, but it's prolonged yeah. for potentially months. It goes. It can go on for months. Yeah, and one patient that sticks out to me when I was on a rotation where we see uh, patients that are court mandated for treatment because they're recently released from prison. This guy had been in prison for twenty years mm-hmm. for getting in an altercation with the police. When we took his history. And he was diagnosed with, I think, anxiety or something in prison for the first time. And he was like on Haldol. Mm. When we when we took his history, this guy was in a manic episode. Mm. He was like 22 and he was in a full-blown manic episode. Mm. And he was paranoid and ran from the cops. And they didn't even, he hadn't even done anything wrong. Mm. But he started acting bizarre and running from them. So they chased him down. And he was so paranoid and not understanding what was going on that he fought them. Mm. He he got in the car. He tried to run away, you know. And this guy ended up twenty two years in prison because he was in a manic episode. Wow. Ugh. So it literally and think about that. That guy's life is ruined. Mm-hmm. If he has kids, their lives are severely affected. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it, this is this is very serious, and it has to be treated definitely. But we need to talk about. What bipolar disorder is not. Okay. Because there are, there are a lot of pretenders. This is a diagnosis that gets thrown around left and right. And for me, the biggest thing you have to rule out when you have somebody that, that might have bipolar disorder is trauma. Mm-hmm. The symptoms of trauma are literally like almost exactly the symptoms of bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Right? And I want to talk about two diagnoses that come from trauma in, in particular. I want to talk about, you want to guess? Uh, I'm guessing you want to talk about post-traumatic stress disorder and borderline personality disorder. Yes, I do. Okay. Because people with, with trauma with that meet the criteria for either PTSD or borderline are diagnosed with bipolar disorder all the time. And I think and it's important to note that you can have both, but, absolutely. but it, I would think that the vast majority of the time, you don't. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The va- the vast majority. If you have two psychiatric diagnoses, you have to be suspicious that mm. there's that the patient may be misdiagnosed for some reason or another. Sure. Which is the you know it's tricky because, well, let, let, let's talk about it first. Sure. So, I laid out the symptoms of a manic episode, and I laid out some of the symptoms related to trauma that can look the same. Definitely. So. I want to start with decreased need for sleep. Mm-hmm. So one one of the symptoms of a manic episode is decreased need for sleep, meaning you sleep three hours or less and you still have energy. Which definitely right? definitely happens in PTSD and it's usually due to nightmares and right. can also happen in borderline personality disorder, may also be from nightmares, but also a huge anxious uh, component there. Anxiety. Absolutely. And... The the difference is though it's in a manic episode it's a decreased need for sleep mm-hmm. it's not that you don't sleep because people with either PTSD or borderline personality disorder they may have chronically affected sleep and they may have learned how to cope with it and be able to continue so they may say yes like I can go you know without sleeping 
you know, and still function. But it's not the same thing. Yeah, I think a good question to ask is, you know, so each of these three people, these three patients, the one with bipolar, the one with PTSD, the one with borderline, each of them might be getting three hours of sleep a night. But if you ask the PTSD patient or the borderline patient how they feel when they wake up, do you feel energized? Do you feel like you're ready to take on the day? There are certainly exceptions, but for the most part, they're going to say, no, I, I kind of feel pretty drained. Same with a depressed patient. Whereas someone with yeah. bipolar disorder is going to say, yeah, I feel amazing. I feel better than when, you know, in the past, sometimes I'll get eight hours of sleep and I don't feel this good. And the key, diagnostically, the key is, again, in a manic episode, this is a change from your baseline. This isn't that you're always like this. This is that you're never like this and suddenly you're like this for days in a row out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to move forward to racing thoughts. Okay. Part of a manic episode, your brain is firing 100 miles per hour. You're thinking so fast, right? Mm -hmm. If you ask somebody with PTSD or with borderline personality disorder or with generalized anxiety disorder, for that matter, if they have racing thoughts, the answer is going to be yes. Mm -hmm. But what they're really most likely having are anxious ruminations. Mm -hmm. And I right? think that, the, you know, with the bipolar patient, these racing thoughts are going to be persistent throughout the day. And they're just going to have idea after idea. And that will be, of course, reflected in their speech and their thought process. Whereas with PTSD borderline, as well as depression, these thoughts are going to come when the person isn't otherwise engaged, typically at night. Typically, right. they're going to contribute to the insomnia. And um, they're going to be about a subject. It, when you ruminate, you are having cyclical thoughts about a subject. Whereas yeah. with bipolar disorder, you're having racing thoughts and it's one thought leads to a different distinct thought leads to another distinct thought. And there's there might be a line connecting each thought, but it's yeah. not like you're thinking about one thing. You're not thinking over and over again about your relationship with your wife or your career. You're thinking about how you're going to invent a new type of cell phone. And then you're thinking about how you're going to prevent hurricanes from happening. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so you start to see the problem. In plain English, all of the things we're talking about are racing thoughts. But when we say racing thoughts, we mean something specific. Mm. And because we've seen it, because we've seen people in manic episodes, we know what we're talking about. We know what we mean. But somebody who hasn't seen that, it means something different to them. Very true. Right? And I think I just want to comment real quick, Raph, that I think the worst in terms of this kind of vocabulary communication breakdown, I think happens simply with the elevated mood and irritability. Whereas, you know, in PTSD, patients are typically irritable. Um, yeah. In borderline personality disorder, patients have mood swings, not on the order of weeks or months, but on the orders of hours, hours. or minutes. Yeah. And in bipolar disorder, it's a week minimum, maybe months if untreated, of this manic state followed by months and months and months of typically, on the in the typical course, of depression. Yeah. In the cl classic kind of case. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know what's kind of tricky too, though? If the person's in the manic episodes... They're going to have mood swings, right? Yeah. Affect lability is one of the symptoms. So they do have mood swings in the manic episode, but it's different. A couple more things. Um, psychomotor agitation is part of the criteria for a manic episode. It's it's in the same criterion as goal-directed behavior, which is how we distinguish it from 
the other, you know, the trauma-related diagnoses. So in mania, you can have psychomotor agitation, meaning you're running all over the place. Mm-hmm. You're literally, it's like you're run by a motor, you're moving here, you're moving there, right? Mm-hmm. As people with borderline personality sort of can look like that. Sure. Right? And people with PTSD can look like that. Certainly. But those people, those those episodes for the PTSD and the borderline patient will have a natural termination. Whereas the the issue with a patient with bipolar disorder is that this this restlessness continues to such an extent that these people's muscles start to break down and they might even yeah. have something that we call rhabdomyolysis, which is a medical emergency, sometimes requiring emergent hemodialysis. Someone who's yeah, that's someone who's that's pretty frequent. Yeah, that we have to hydrate somebody before we can admit them to the unit because they just haven't eaten. They've been running around the you know exactly in, in the midst of a manic episode. Someone with borderline personality disorder, someone with PTSD, they're not going to have it to that extent. The person with PTSD might might be up at all hours of the night, pacing their house, wondering about intruders, but they're not going to come into the emergency room with a with a CK of you know thirty thousand, which is just a fancy way of saying their muscles are breaking down. And again, in a manic episode, it's a, a discrete change from baseline, and all these symptoms are coming together at the same time. Mm-hmm. Distractibility, it's a, a feature of PTSD because of, and, and borderline personality disorder for that matter, which, by the way, in my opinion, PTSD and borderline are cousins, and we had to do a whole episode on that. Are they kissing cousins? But we'll get there. Uh, they, they often are mm-hmm. because they often coexist in the same person. That's very which, true. Is, an, is another thing that we need to talk about. Distractibility. The difference is in, and you mentioned this in the PTSD episode, if this is trauma-related distractibility, it's probably some flavor of dissociation where the person says, I can't focus, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm blanking out essentially. But if you are able to explore the underlying thoughts, they're usually some in some way, shape, or form related to the trauma. Mm-hmm. Whereas in bipolar disorder in a manic episode it's that your brain is just firing the the neurotransmitters are just firing a thousand miles per hour so you can't focus on any one thing psychosis mm-hmm. happens in manic episodes right mm-hmm. the equivalent in trauma is well in ptsd you can have flashbacks mm-hmm. or dissociative episodes which can look indistinguishable from psychosis very right? true yeah they can the patient will say that I, I've had patients tell me the one that gets to me, I think, is the couple of patients that told me my buddies visit me at night. Yeah. Have you heard that one? Oh, yeah. Uh, when you hear that from somebody who's experiencing it firsthand, it kind of shakes you to the core. Yeah. Yeah. They they literally see and hear, you know, I'm talking about veterans mm. that were in Iraq and Afghanistan, and they literally will see and hear the people that they fought with that died tragically come to their bedside at night and talk to them and it's it's sometimes it's difficult to discern that from a from a very vivid dream sometimes one leads to the other i've had ptsd patients who tell me that if they have a nightmare or even a pleasant dream the night before where maybe maybe they're even just talking to their deceased war buddy they kind of know that they're almost set up for a flashback the next day or in the coming days yeah. But that's not psychosis. Yeah. It looks the same. The symptoms are the same, but it's different. Yeah. Right. And in borderline personality disorder, you have what we call micropsychosis. Borderline personality disorder is called borderline personality. Do you know why? Uh, it's on the borderline between psychosis and, and neurosis. Neurosis. Yeah. 
So, and we'll get to borderline in its own episode, but the point being that people with borderline personality disorder can have psychotic symptoms. They can hear voices. They can see things that aren't there. They can also, a lot of times they have a history of trauma, so they can have the flashbacks. Again, it's psychosis, but it's not the same as the kind of psychosis we see in bipolar and disorder. I feel I always feel obliged to say this, but I, I, you know, normal people without who are not diagnosable can have a hallucination. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think I've seen studies that like ten percent. Well, first of all, everybody has hypnagogic and hypnopompic hallucinations, mm-hmm. meaning hearing or seeing things around the time of sleep. Mm-hmm. Right, that's normal. If that's all you have, that's that's something that everybody has. Yeah. If you hear if you hear a voice around the time that you're falling asleep or around the time that you wake up or you see some something crazy, that's just part of the natural sleep cycle. It's part of a healthy and brain working. Exactly. Um, but in addition to that, I've heard that like ten percent of the population can have auditory hallucinations and not meet the criteria for a psychotic episode. Um, it's probably more, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. It's just just like every other symptom in the DSM. We all have these things mm-hmm. to some degree. The question is to what degree and does it affect your quality of life? Sure. Right. Um, depression. Depression happens. So in addition to manic episodes, you can have depressive episodes in bipolar disorder. And depression is a key feature of PTSD and borderline personality disorder. Sure. So... You know, my point is the symptoms are almost exactly the same, right? And if you ask somebody, I I already know, if I ask somebody that has a history of trauma and I always ask for trauma, when I screen for a manic episode, they're going to say yes. Mm-hmm. They almost always say yes. Yeah. Because it, it, it's it's really hard to, to, you know, you're asking them, do you have decreased need for sleep? You know, do you sometimes engage in risky behavior? Do you hear voices? Do you get depressed? They're going to say yes because they do have that. Yeah. Right. But there are so many things, and we're going to get into it, but there are so many things that can cause those things. Yeah. And people often don't distinguish the fact that, you know, their their manic episode might have been induced by an illicit substance or something that they were prescribed. So let's talk about it. Moving on from trauma, what all the other things that can cause mania and mm-hmm. what this is why you have to go to a psychiatrist mm-hmm. first of all we talked about other psychiatric disorders Got that can out. cause the same symptoms um one we didn't talk about yet is adhd here are some of the symptoms of adhd rapid speech racing thoughts distractibility decreased need for sleep that's the criteria for a manic episode yep but those are core features of adhd mm-hmm Obviously, there's a different flavor, and when you become, when you're a professional, you learn what distinguishes them. But if you're just looking at the words, the literal language, it is, as you say, exactly the same. What happens if you get diagnosed with ADHD, but you really have bipolar disorder, is you get... Concerta, or some other stimulant. which causes... Mania. And psychosis. And it sets you on fire, just like it does in, in PTSD, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. So you got to be careful, mm-hmm. you know, you got to be careful. And ju- But that is not to say, and I also want to make this distinction. I think this is a common, uh, a common thing that trips providers up as well. If you are prescribed, if you're diagnosed with ADHD, you're prescribed a stimulant or you're diagnosed with depression and you're prescribed an antidepressant 
And after taking the, those things, you have for the first time what might appear to be a manic episode. It doesn't necessarily mean that you meet the criteria for those things. These medications are serious business. A stimulant is serious business. And you can have, you can appear heightened, elevated, even manic on, on methylphenidate. Even if you don't have bipolar disorder, it's just, it's literally what the drug is designed to do. That being said, if part of the criteria says that even if it's induced by a medication, it could be unmasking mania. Sure. An, a, oh, yeah. A pre-existing bipolar disorder. And it requires a careful history, judgment, and longitudinal follow-up, essentially. Mm. Because these things are incredibly, incredibly difficult to pick apart when you see them in, in real life. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think again, there's very subtle differences. You're probably seeing this all the time. And in the little the oh, child exposure kids, I've had... It's even more complicated in kids. Like you, you prescribe methylphenidate and then the kid's irritable. And, oh, I have so many. And you're, we, we get so many on the unit. You, you're wondering, is this irritability truly pathological? It's normal even to be a little bit irritable once you've taken a stimulant like this. But to what extent, again, is it hampering your function? And is it perhaps unmasking an underlying issue? Family history is super important, so on and so forth. And we can and we can do our best based on what we know and our clinical judgment and all the information that we have to give you our best opinion of what's going on, but we don't have a crystal ball. Yeah. So we can't know for sure. So even psychiatrists, the best we can do is this is what we think based on all of these things. And this is why we think this, and this is what we recommend, but we're going to have to follow you up and see what happens mm. because real life is much more complicated than the book. Oh yeah. Other medications on that note that cause mania, antidepressants, right? Mm -hmm. So mood is on a spectrum, right? From depression, you know, severe depression to mania. Mm -hmm. What's in the middle is euthymia. And you can be anywhere in between on that spectrum, mm -hmm. right? So when somebody's depressed and you give them an antidepressant, you're almost trying to induce hypomania. Mm-hmm. You don't quite want to get there, but you want to push the needle. That's what you're trying to do. And, and oftentimes so, what, what an antidepressant will do before it does anything else, before it actually addresses the depression, will, will be to give the patient a little bit of energy, a little bit of a boost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it'll it'll feel like, like mania. It can feel like mania, um, either elevation in energy or mood or irritability for that matter. Mm -hmm. And if you have bipolar disorder, you got to be super careful. Because an antidepressant can set you off into a severe manic oh, episode. Yeah. And by the way, something I learned actually from Dr. Zerbo, um, it doesn't happen necessarily right away. Uh, oftentimes it does that somebody who has bipolar disorder gets on an antidepressant without a mood stabilizer and they become manic. But they could go years on the antidepressant without having a manic episode and then have the <clears> manic <throat> episode. Sure. Just because somebody's had an antidepressant and hasn't been manic yet doesn't mean that they don't have bipolar disorder. Sure. And by the way, that's very commonly the course of bipolar disorder is that you get diagnosed with depression and you don't have your first manic episode till 10 years later. Mm. And schizophrenia starts as depression as well. Sure. So you could see how, how complicated it gets. Yeah. Um, other medications that can cause mania, levodopa, mm -hmm. the Parkinson drugs, it's, it, you're, it's dopamine, mm -hmm. right? So the neurotransmitters involved in, in mania are dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, they could all be elevated mm -hmm. in the mania. 
So you're giving somebody dopamine, they can become manic. And talking about somebody who doesn't have bipolar disorder. Corticosteroids can cause mania. Anabolic steroids can cause mania. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was a little fishy about this one, so I, I had to do some research. But then I thought about it, actually, and we're, we should do an episode on this. You know what the first indication was for anabolic steroids? No. Depression. Mm. Back in like the 1950s or so. Mm. So I'm not surprised that it can cause mania. Yeah. We're not saying you should take steroids if you're depressed, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is actually research being done oh, wow. now, currently, on steroids. Interesting. To treat depression. Mm. Yeah. Synthroid or levothyroxine, which is a medication for um, Hypothyroid. hypothyroidism, mm-hmm. will cause mania. Um Stimulants we mentioned before, any stimulants can cause mania. Antabuse. I did not know this. Can cause mania. I didn't know that either. I got to look that. Up. I got to look at the details of that. But it's reported antabuse causes mania. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of blood pressure medicines can cause mania. Captopril, hydralazine, mm-hmm. um, bromocryptine can cause mania. Baclofen, isoniazid, and the list goes on and on mm-hmm. and on. Right. The point is, a lot of medications can cause mania it's almost like a manic episode it's almost somebody who doesn't have bipolar disorder it's almost like those guys from 2000 years ago with the whole biological determinant thing were onto something and Mm, if there's any disruption to your exactly you know if you're if you're messing with the neurotransmitters if you're messing with the body things can happen yeah right Mm -hmm. drugs yes this is an issue it's this is very hard to pick apart because so many drugs will cause mania yeah. And so you have to ask the person in the manic episode, you got to get the Utox. Are you on drugs? Were you ever manic without the drugs? So let's mention some of the drugs that cause mania. Sure. Go ahead. What have you seen? I think uh, certainly cocaine's at the top of the list. And again, cocaine. just like methylphenidate, just like levodopa, you know, it's it's causing that dopamine surge. And so it's it might be unmasking something that's already there. Or... Or it might be inducing might... something that's that would not be there otherwise. Cocaine, amphetamines, crystal meth, PCP. Mm-hmm. We talked about PCP. Mm-hmm. Dude, PCP is serious. Yeah. The the most <laughs> Siri so, Siri wants to get Siri, in on this conversation. Siri, Siri's trying to get in on this. <laughs> in the in the emergency room, some of the some of the some of the most acute most, cases that we see. Most acute cases. That's a very scientific acute. way to say it. Some of the most colorful cases, some of the most severe cases, some of the most combative, agitated cases. And certainly are... and certainly some of the most memorable because as I mentioned before, it's such a stark departure from the person's personality, which can further, you know, muddy the clinical picture, as we've been discussing, because Bipolar mania is certainly a departure from a person's personality. It's not egocentric. It's not in line with the rest of your existence. But I've had patients with on PCP who they're threatening repeatedly to kill me, kill my family, so on and so forth. Twenty four hours later, once the drug is out of their system, they're the Sweet, nicest, sweetest person in the world. Yeah, yeah. and Absolutely. maybe it's the first time they ever tried it. Not everyone reacts that way to PCP. Some people get a very nice high from pcp but like marijuana whereas with some people it's going to chill you out with others it's going to make you you know cripplingly paranoid and on that note marijuana uh not so much marijuana but synthetic marijuana k2 spice can certainly be another cannabis cannabis we did a whole episode on this cannabis cannabis sorry you can call it whatever you want but i call it cannabis. my bad man it's a um yeah no 
I, I feel offended. Um, <laughs> it is it is a racist ra- term. I should not be. Using. You're racist. You're racist toward my people. I'm sorry. But yeah, well, first of all, I want to say, um, rotating, you know, training at Rutgers. I don't know about you, but I got to the point where I could diagnose PCP from the person walking in the door. Oh yeah, yeah. And the way I I, I tell it to other residents or medical students is. The person is more psychotic than schizophrenia and more manic than bipolar disorder. Oh, yeah. At the same time, I had like a 100% average of diagnosing PCP before we got the blood work or the Utah. Nice. Except that K2 or SPICE, this quote-unquote synthetic cannabis, presents exactly like PCP. Exactly. Uh, when they're in the, in the severe episode. Yeah. And uh, I, the big difference is that with the, with the K2 and the SPICE, because it's so lipophilic... And it leaches out into the bloodstream in a more regular manner and in a manner that can't even be studied because the, you know, you buy a packet of K2 from the gas station down the street. You buy a packet of K2 from a dealer the in the inner city. You're getting a different structure. So, yeah. but either way, it is going to be more lipophilic and it's going to have more of an unpredictable effect. Whereas with PCP, most of the time, 24 hours, 48 hours most, the drug yeah. is out of that person's system. And they are at their baseline, whatever that might might be. Yeah. Cocaine is similar, except they then crash after the high. Yeah. Um, alcohol. Mm-hmm. These are the a lot of these are specifiers, by the way, in uh, drug in, in drug induced uh, mania, sure. which is a diagnosis. Um, alcohol can cause mania. Other hallucinogens can cause mania. Sedative hypnotics can cause mania, like benzodiazepines. Mm-hmm. Interestingly. Um, and the tricky thing is too, is one of the things that people do when they're in a manic episode is use drugs. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So it's like a, it's like a chicken or the egg. The like is this yeah. person, does this person not have bipolar disorder and they're manic because they're using drugs or does this person have bipolar disorder and they're using drugs because they're manic and it's making them more manic. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell. It's really hard for us to tell, mm-hmm. but you know, the only way you can figure it out is by following the person, mm-hmm. the patient, longitudinally, by developing a really good relationship with your psychiatrist, by telling them everything there is to know about mm-hmm. you, and, you know, little by little, weeding it out. Sure. Other things that can cause mania. There's a lot of other medical conditions that can do it. A lot of medical disorders. Yeah. I think the DSM says it doesn't even bother mentioning them because it says that Basically, that the list never ends of things that have been shown to cause mania of medical disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, let's mention some. Sure. Cushing's disease. We said before, uh, steroids can cause psychosis or mania. Mm-hmm. Cushing's disease is just essentially an excess of steroids, so it can cause Cortisol, mania. endogenous steroids. Yeah. Uh, multiple sclerosis. Definitely. Uh, strokes. Mm-hmm. Classically, the right-sided stroke, but a stroke anywhere can cause mania. Mm-hmm. Traumatic brain injury can cause mania. Sure. Lupus can present as mania. Syphilis causes mania. Any kind of encephalitis can cause mania, like herpes simplex encephalitis. HIV. HIV, even the flu mm-hmm. can cause mania. Hyper or hypothyroidism can cause mania, either one. Um, Huntington's disease, mm-hmm. Wilson's disease, seizures, migraines can cause mania. Mm-hmm. A brain tumor, vitamin deficiencies, B12, folate, niacin, thiamine, anything essentially that 
has some sort of effect on your brain can cause you to have a manic episode. Going back to, you know, confusing the clinical picture, talk about a departure from your typical personality, the 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 migraine prodrome. You know, people who are never irritable suddenly are. Um yeah. people who are never dysthymic suddenly are. And uh it you know, it goes in line with the rest of the things on this list, just changing slightly the blood flow to the brain. You know, there's some evidence that there's microschemic changes in people with uh yep. migraines uh so i, I mean a, a migraine to me is essentially like a, a seizure yeah you know or a mini it's stroke a, it's even. a serious yeah or a stroke it's a it's a serious it's serious neurological condition it might not lead to death you know but it can cause almost any neurological symptoms yeah and complex migraines the great we call um, we call syphilis the great pretender right neurosyphilis yeah but really a lot of these diseases are in terms of you know, pretending to be mental health disorders, uh, a lot of them are great pretenders. Yeah. How do we how do we take care of this? I think I think we got to do a whole another episode on treating bipolar. I disorder think we do because, because it's such an art. It's complicated. Yeah, and it, it's very complicated. It's an art is a great way to put it. It's a beautiful art. I think everything we do is an art, man. I think it's an yeah, art absolutely. informed by sometimes very flawed science. It's the best science we have, but. I think that the reason why it takes years to legally be able to do what we do independently is because practice and experience is such a huge part of it. And that's where the art comes in. And, you know, essentially what we've been saying this whole episode is, you know, it when you see it, which is really exactly. a, a, un, a dissatisfying answer to give, but it's the truth. And uh, it's, it, it is the truth. it's something like that you learn before, over years. We are the MRI. Yeah. <laughs> in psychiatry, right? We are the blood test, you know? Yeah. We train for years to be able to to see and feel what these things are. Mm -hmm. We can, when we interact with somebody, the feeling we get, what we see, what we hear, what we smell, those things all inform the diagnosis. And sometimes they're diagnostic in and of themselves. Exactly. And it feels squishy. And that, it's hard to put that. It's hard to put that on paper, but that's the truth. It, and that's how you do it correctly. It feels squishy and and, and imprecise imprecise but it's not in, it it feels i don't know it feels know not accurate to uh to say well this patient gave me this feeling and i'm going to use that as part of my differential diagnosing like but you know the fact is in psychiatry you talk about how a patient makes you feel and you dissect that you have to dissect it it might be a reflection of something that's going on with you the provider but it might be a reflection mm -hmm. of something that's going on with a patient it might be their defense mechanisms yeah. which can lead to the diagnosis, mm -hmm. right? Sure. It could be projective identification that leaves you feeling a certain way for a day later. But right? I, it completely, but I definitely agree with you that maybe that's another episode. Yeah. So it's time for the top five tips about bipolar disorder. Tip number one, mood swings are not bipolar disorder. As we discussed, mood swings are in the criteria however they're also in the criteria for ptsd for borderline personality disorder for depression for anxiety for everything for everything tip number two exogenous substances can cause a full-blown manic episode that'll make you meet the criteria for bipolar disorder when you may not have it a lot of drugs cause it a lot of medications like thyroid medications stimulants for adhd antidepressants can cause manic episodes 
Tip number three, medical disorders can also imitate bipolar disorder, and that's why getting a proper medical workup, especially if, you know, your first manic episode is maybe later in life, maybe it doesn't meet the criteria or, or it doesn't seem like it's the natural course of the disease, it's important to rule out things like Cushing's MS, TBI lupus, encephalitis. The list goes on. Tip number four, manic depression is the old term for bipolar disorder. And in bipolar disorder, you can have manic episodes, you can have depressive episodes, you can just have manic episodes, or you can have something in between. Tip number five, bipolar disorder, according to many patients, can be a gift and a curse. And I've certainly had patients in the past, um, more often with bipolar 2, but also with bipolar 1, who tell me that if you can ride that wave, if you can harness that manic or hypomanic episode, you can get a lot done. Um, and it's true. However, sometimes patients use that as an excuse to not medicate their problem. And right. that's a huge risk. Um, yeah. if, because these, these manic episodes are not predictable. And as we've said, are often more disastrous than psychosis even due to an illness such as schizophrenia. Hypomania usually feels pretty good, but by the time you get into mania, it can turn, the mood can turn bad quickly. Yeah. And we don't want to take away your creativity, your energy, the gift that you were born with. We just want to keep it from boiling over. Yeah. So we like to end every episode by saying that if you're struggling, you don't need to struggle alone. There are plenty of great ways to get help if you need it. If you're struggling with what you think might be bipolar disorder, depression, PTSD, borderline personality disorder, all of these things are treatable. And there's a lot of good ways to go about getting that help. The first way, if you're really struggling, you don't know where to turn, 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-TALK is a great way to get in contact with someone right away who will just be there for you and help you in whatever capacity they can. If you want to get established with a psychiatrist or a mental health professional and you're not sure where to start, certainly you could go to Psychology Today. Uh, you could go to your health insurer's website. There's a wealth of resources. If you're near a university hospital, you could call them and ask for what services they offer. Whether you have insurance or not, there's going to be someone who will be able to help. And remember, psychiatric conditions are medical conditions, they're neurological conditions, and they can be treated. So until next time, adios. Peace.